Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. I want to remind you that we are in a sermon series called Truth to Table. Truth to Table. Jesus is the way, the and the life. And what we're doing throughout this sermon series is we're going to the gospel of Luke and we are looking solely at the gospel book Luke and we're looking at all of the instances in that book where Jesus is doing Jesus things but not in the sanctuary, not at church, not in the temple, but at dinner tables. Which is, which is pretty cool, which is pretty cool. Jesus works in the church, amen? amen. He, he works in the temple, amen? Uh, but he also works at the table. Jesus is a phenomenal host. He loves whenever we come into his house here, his church, right? But Jesus also wants you to host him in your house at your table. So that's what we're studying. We're, we're studying that. So if you got your Bible, Luke chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 36. We're going to read a lot of Bible. But, but if you go to legacy, that's nothing new for you. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Once, if you got your physical Bible, will you, will you show it to me? Okay. Look at that. Look at that right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what we do. That's what we do. I want my Bible so big, you can stop a door with it. It's like a bulletproof vest. I get shot, just, I ain't getting through this one. You see see that? It's thick. Triple C. All right, stand up. Let's read the Word of God all together. Verse 36, going to 50. One of the... Ask him to eat with him. Now, I want you to realize here that it's not Jesus as host. Jesus is not asking the Pharisee into his house. Jesus is accepting the invitation of the Pharisee into his house. All right? So, we all know Pharisees are bad, right? Let's boo them. Right. We don't like them. Um, but, But Jesus accepts the invitation from the religious party of the Pharisees that are cooperating with a plot to have him killed on the cross. So look at your Jesus, accepting a dinner party invitation from an enemy. So we'll start over. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the house and he reclined at table. Jesus is chilling in the house of his enemies. I'd be on 10 the whole time, but not Jesus. Jesus reclines at table. And behold, now that's a polite way of saying prostitute, harlot, right? Who was a, when she learned that he was in the house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed the feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this 
man were a prophet. Now, I want you to recognize what's happening here in verse 39. He said to himself, he did not say out loud. He thought it. He didn't say it. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him. Hold on, he didn't say anything. He just thought it. He said, if this man were a prophet, and Jesus said, oh, I am. I, let me show you how prophetic I am. I can read your mind, my guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you think I don't know who I am? I don't know. That's just the way I read it. When, when to the Holy Ghost. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon. Hold on. Notice that four times the gospel writer, Luke, labels this man as Pharisee, 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 Pharisee. But Jesus, for the first time in the story, identifies the man by name. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Jesus calls even his enemies by name. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered. Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you'd probably read that a little bit differently because I read it like this. Say it, teacher. I mean, that's just me. That's just me. He probably, he probably didn't say it like that, but I just, I just read it like that. And so a certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom the, he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, you got to catch these details. He was not looking Simon in the face whenever he endeavored to teach Simon a lesson. He looked at the woman and kept talking to Simon. He said, uh, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that she came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Hold on, wait. I didn't hear a confession. which are many are forgiven for she loved much. I'm grateful. I don't know about you this morning, church, that love covers a multitude of sins. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were among the, at the table, they began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. The title of my message today, church, is God Loves Ugly. God Loves Ugly. Lord, I thank you that whenever I was at my worst, you gave me your best. When everybody looked at me, God, and said, that looks bad. You came in with your beauty, and I am so grateful for your grace, God. I'm so grateful for Calvary. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over this house today, and we say, God, we are so grateful for your sacrifice. Lord, would you allow us today to be recipients of all of the benefits of what you paid for for us on the cross. We receive life and life abundantly this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. You can be seated. 
want to go back to verse 36 and just look at the context of the story today. What I want to do is maybe shed some new light on this infamous story of the woman with the alabaster jar and hopefully encourage you that you would walk out of this house today knowing that God loves ugly. But, 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 not, but not, not because it's ugly, but because it's honest. God is comfortable with ugly. And verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, as you read through the entire gospel of the book of Luke, you'll notice something about the Pharisees, and that is that they are deeply interested in the ministry of Jesus. I know we label them as being very, very bad, and we booed them because they deserved that, but some of the Pharisees actually accepted the teachings of Jesus and believed in him, but not the majority of them. The majority of that religious party despised Jesus. They hated Jesus with vitriol because they viewed his teachings as a compromise to their interpretations of the law. So they labeled him as a heretic. And that's why he always got on their last nerve. I would call Jesus the perennial Pharisee frustrator, which I think is what I would want my nickname to be if I was a boxer. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Lyle, the Pharisee frustrator, Philip. I was like, that's got a ring to it right there. I was like, I'm good. Yeah, I don't, okay, anyways. Sorry, sometimes I get in my own little world. But he frustrated the Pharisees, which is why they constantly would plot on him. They participated in the plan to have him murdered on the cross. And yet Jesus consistently three times actually in the book of Luke accepts their invitations to hang out and come over to break bread. We see truth going to table, even the table of his enemies. Now I tweeted this out this week because I thought this was a really cool observation. So y'all get with me. You ain't never met anybody as fearless as Jesus. Quite often, actually, the man literally eats meals with his enemies in their very own homes while they're actively scheming to murder him. Sheesh. My God is a gangster. (laughs) You ain't never met anybody as fearless as Jesus. I can guarantee you that. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the Pharisee in question here. We do know his name is Simon. He's known as Simon the Pharisee or Simon the leper. It's kind of a family name because apparently leprosy was in his family. We don't know if Jesus liked him or not. Maybe he did because he was probably a friend of Lazarus who Jesus had just raised from the dead. We know Mary and Martha are in attendance at the dinner party. I don't know. Maybe Jesus liked Simon, but I can guarantee you this. Luke, the guy who wrote the book, did not like Simon. You know how I know that? Because four times he said that Pharisee. That Pharisee over there, that Pharisee over there, the Pharisee, like we don't even know his name until Jesus tells us his name. Luke was labeling, lumping him into the group of Jesus's enemies. But I praise God that my Jesus sees differently. It's amazing. They're called the Pharisees and yet they cannot see. And that's why Jesus looked at the woman and told Simon, do you see this woman? Because he's teaching us how to see. He calls his enemies by their names. 
Jesus accepts the invitation of an enemy group. He goes over to their house for a dinner party. He eats their food. He settles in for some lengthy conversation as he reclines at table. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I can guarantee you this. I don't think I'd accept a dinner party invite from someone that I didn't like much less someone that I knew did not like me. And if they were a part of an evil coup that preferred that I was no longer breathing, there ain't no way I'm going over to their house and eating their food. But I know you poisoned the, the yams. You know what I mean? Like I'm not eating their food. At the very most, if I hear from the Holy Spirit, I go over, I have a bite and uh, I'm out. I'm gonna dine and dash. See ya. I don't know what they're up to, right? And some of us, we do that on holidays. We do that at family functions and hopefully not, but some of us may do that at church dinner parties. You may say, I don't like them and I know they don't like me and I don't want no inconvenient, uncomfortable conversations. I ain't got no time to sit down and eat any food with fill in the blank. Label. I ain't got time to sit down and break bread with no Pharisee. All right, let, 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 let's bring it up to modern times. I ain't got no time to sit down and break bread with no liberal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all thought I forgot it was an election year in 2024. Uh, um, I ain't got time to sit down and break bread with no conservative. I don't want, I don't, I'm not, oh, that, that didn't hit the same. So, um. <laughs> Uh, dang, okay, I know who y'all are voting for. Um, I, I, I don't have no time to sit down with a Republican. I don't have no time to sit down with the Democrats. See, I had to bring it up 2024. 2024. I ain't got no time to sit down with a white guy. I ain't got no time to sit down with a black girl. I ain't got no time to sit down with people who look differently than me. I don't even know their names. I just put a label on them. And see, Jesus refused labels. He just called people by their names. He said, look, I know you don't like me, but I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. Even though you're my enemy, I'm going to ask God to forgive you whenever you murder me. This is who Jesus is. And three times Jesus goes into the house of Pharisees. Three times there's conflict. This is something I love about Jesus is that Jesus does not mind a little conflict at his table. Jesus doesn't need it all peace in order to eat with somebody. He does not mind conflict. Uh, one time he goes in and, and the Pharisees get mad because, you know, he's messing with their traditions. Another time they get mad because he's messing with their interpretations of Scripture. But this time they get mad because he welcomes an extremely unwanted, uninvited, and ugly guest. And, and this burns their biscuits. They do not like this at all. They are upset with the fact that Jesus allows a woman of the city to burst in to their dinner party. So this woman, she rolls in completely unannounced. We know that she's a prostitute. And if it was not tense before, you know it's tense now. I want you to imagine this dinner party. I have to watch this DVD when I get to heaven. You've got the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You've got hyper-religious, bloodthirsty Pharisees. And now you've got a scandalous harlot and they're all in the same living room. I'm definitely watching that DVD in heaven. It's got to be tense in there, right? 
And what she's done is a massive cultural faux pas. We don't understand that today. We don't like people showing up to our house uninvited. But at this point in time in history, in a uh, Near Eastern culture, whenever you would host a dinner party, it was extremely inappropriate to come, o- come over uninvited. Because when they had dinner parties, they had selected very specifically who would come. And the guest list was very uh, particular. They did not want any extra people. In fact, you would be looked down upon if you brought a guest that wasn't on the list because they had prepared the food according to the people who were going to be in the room. It, food wasn't, you know, cheap. It wasn't abundant like it is today by comparison. So if they had a special guest, they wanted to make sure they had special food. They would have these banquets all scheduled out because they borrowed their understanding of banqueting from the Roman culture that was occupying Israel at the time. Now, we don't really realize what's happening in the Roman culture, but in the Roman culture, they banqueted regularly as a method of cultural catechism. Here's what I mean by that. They would teach the people that they occupied to eat like them so that they could form them in such a way that they would give their honor to Caesar and none of the deities that they had worshiped previously. So they would have this part of the party where they'd all break bread and they'd eat together and then they would take a break and they'd have something called the symposium. To kick off the symposium, which was kind of like a teaching, and this is why we see the early church so often breaking bread house to house, and they would follow the same model as the Romans. You guys cool with this? I'm going fast because I don't have a lot of time. And so their dinner parties would, le- would, be, would be laid out in the same way. They'd, they'd recline at what's called a triclinium. And so they would have these pillows on the floor and they would have specific numbered seats. This is why you couldn't bring extra people because there wasn't no space at the couch. You see what I'm saying? And so they would recline at the table and they would kick off what's called the symposium with a cup. And the thing that they were required to do when they hosted these parties was give a toast to Caesar and the gods of the Romans. But you see, this is why Paul was dragging Christians out of their houses by their feet. Because when they finished with the meal and it got time for the symposium, they said, this is the blood of the new covenant. We pay no homage to Caesar. Our Lord is... Jesus. So you see, they wouldn't have been doing that at this Pharisee party, no doubt. But it was very well insulated and protected. Unwanted, uninvited guests were not welcome. So you have to understand that for a harlot to show up at a known man of God's residence, it was extremely scandalous. And I honestly, I think that Simon has every right to be outraged. It wasn't cheap to host a banquet. He had handpicked everybody who was going to be there. He probably bought expensive, rich food because Jesus was in his house. He's a known religious man. So he would have been scandalized by the fact that his neighbors would have watched a known harlot walk into his house. Didn't ring the doorbell, didn't knock, just walked in like she was supposed to be there. And one of the things that you may not realize is that's what they did during the symposium. A lot of times they would bring in these slave girls that they would call flute girls, or they would just come in and they would do sexual favors for the, for the host and his friends. So everybody's assumption who's watching this play out is that, oh, hold on, wait just a minute. I didn't realize that Simon, the pastor, was actually a, he likes to hire harlots. You see why he's mad? 
everybody's mad. Everybody's mad that she's in there. Everybody would have said, we got to get this woman out of here ASAP. And yet nobody says a word. Everybody freezes because they're watching what's going on and they're thinking, surely Jesus is going to rebuke this woman and tell her to get out of the house because she is a sinner and he is supposed to be a prophet or a priest or a king or something, right? So they would, have, they would have thought, what is, what is going on here? Now, here's another thing that you, that you may not realize is that to go to the feet of a man in the Old Testament culture would have been considered a sexual advance. You remember Ruth telling Naomi, hey, go uncover Boaz's feet, stand right there. Right? So everybody in this room sees this woman come through and they perceive her behavior to be her hitting on Jesus. Story takes on a different expression now, doesn't it? So you're telling me this prostitute, you're the Lord, like you don't sin and stuff. And yet you are welcoming this woman at your feet and now she's untying her hair. It's another cultural faux pas, by the way. Women were not allowed to be seen without their hair bound. She's untying her hair. She's she's breaking open an alabaster box. Do y'all, do y'all, do y'all, y'all smell that? That smells like a brothel. We, we, we don't often think about the alabaster box as such because we have uh, made it a, a, a religious instrument. We've made it something that we talk about, we sing about, we fantasize about as though it is some like precious, holy, sacred thing. And it becomes that, but it was, that, it was not that initially whenever she brought it in. Alabaster is a soft stone, so you can actually carve alabaster. And so people would buy alabaster vials as a decorative or fancy ornate type of uh, piece that could be seen, not only smelt, but seen as like a vase or something beautiful that you could put in your home. She didn't have a home though, she only had a tent. Because at that time, prostitutes would operate out of tents. Now they weren't like our tents, they didn't have no windows because you don't want to see what's going on in a prostitute's tent. Right? Uh, y'all didn't say amen, so I just went, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, so if you, if you, if you look at, you know, at what they would have done at the time, they would have had a high-pitched tent, and the only place for airflow would have been this very small little opening up there at the top. And so this woman lived in a world of stench. Think about it. That tent would have smelled so bad. People didn't shower and use soap like they do today. That tent would have smelled so bad. This was the one thing that she had that gave her the ability to purify her space. This was the one thing that she had to use to attract new customers. This was the one thing that she had to bring old customers back. I know we look at the alabaster box and we equate it to John chapter 12 and we think that the woman is Mary. We cannot confirm that, but we always put a value on the alabaster jar, which is a year's worth of wages. We don't know if that's the same woman in Luke chapter seven, but what we do know is that what she had was considered to be an expensive oil. And I wanna tell you why I think it's more valuable than a year's worth of wages because we see it as her personal checking but really it's more like her business savings what held the oil the perfume that was in that alabaster jar that's the woman's home marketing budget so now we have biblical precedent to give an offering to God through your business don't 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 talk like that pastor don't talk like that pastor that, that's not good. We don't want to hear those messages. 
But this is what she did. She brought, she brought in this, this alabaster jar, and this was representative of her entire life because it was her most precious possession. And she goes to the feet of Jesus and she begins to weep. And then uh, she begins to dry his feet with her hair and she breaks open that alabaster jar and she begins to anoint his feet and she begins to anoint his head and she begins to anoint him and she anoints him, the Bible says. And we know a lot about this word anointing. Anoint, anoint, anointing is very sacred. Not anybody can get anointed. Only prophets, priests, and kings get anointed. Jesus, the Messiah, is receiving his kingly anointing in this moment. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit would set apart the person receiving the anointing, the Holy Spirit would set apart the person giving the anointing. Because only prophets and priests could anoint people. And this is a prostitute. Look at your Jesus. A lot of people don't think about this, but Jesus changed the world by his fragrances. I know, I know that's a crazy thought. Listen, I don't wear cologne, all right? I wear parfum. All right, I, I, I didn't say women's perfume. I said parfum, and there is a difference. Cologne is alcohol-based, so it doesn't last that long. Parfum is oil-based, so it sticks with you. And I love when people compliment me and say, I knew you were in the building. Right, and I'll say, le labo. And that's not tongues. That's the name of a fragrance. It's Italian. oil-based, right? It's expensive. It's special, right? Well, this would have been nard oil-based perfume that was poured out upon Jesus. And we don't often think about the sequence, but this is just prior to the triumphal entry, meaning it is just prior to the arrest, meaning it is just prior to the cross. So it is very probable that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins, smelling like nard. Which is amazing that we serve a Jesus who would be willing to associate himself with such a fragrance. How did Jesus come into the world? In a stable, in a manger. That means the first fragrance that Jesus smelt like was manure. And yet our God is so humble that he is willing to stoop down and be associated with the fragrance of manure in a stable at his birth. Our God is so humble that he would be willing to stoop down and at his death, as he hung on the cross to die for your sins, he would associate himself with the fragrance of a prostitute in a brothel. Jesus changes the world through his smells. I know that's crazy. I know that's crazy, but for some of y'all charismatics that smell things in the spirit whenever you're in worship, can I say it's biblical? I know it's crazy, I know it's wild to think about, but the reality is that this prostitute didn't just pour out her, her marketing budget, she poured out her life. And Jesus received it. Jesus received the anointing. Everybody in that room was more qualified to anoint him as king than that woman. Everybody, the disciples, the Pharisees, the religious experts, everybody would have been more qualified according to formalities, but God loves ugly. Yeah. Wow. 
He said, I don't want your formalities. I've had enough of your formalities. I appreciate your protocol. I see you striving, but I'm done with that. I don't need that. I don't want that. What I want is a contrite heart. What I want is a broken spirit. What I want is somebody who is honest and raw and vulnerable and brings me the real, real and doesn't try to dress it up first so that it will be acceptable from people. I'm telling you that it's acceptable to God when it's real. When it's honest, when it's vulnerable, when it's raw. He don't want formalities. He wants real love. And this is what the Pharisees couldn't see. And this is the trap that we fall into when we allow ourselves to be taken by the spirit of religion. We forget this and we start trying to pursue Jesus out of well thought through theological terminology. But Jesus rebuked so many people throughout the scripture that pursued him out of that context. But who did he always accept? Lord, please permit me to eat the crumbs. You're in. Just say the word. I know you can heal my daughter. Gotcha. Son of David, have mercy on me, Bartimaeus. Healed. How many other people were following him? They all dressed up. You know, they had their church clothes on. They had their fancy fragrance. Smelling good. Got my phylacteries hanging. And Jesus passed all those guys up. Who touched me? The ugly woman. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I can't get cute no more. I can't go out no more. I can't dress up no more. I ain't got no other solution. It's real, it's raw, it's vulnerable. I need Jesus. Jesus said, I I don't care if it's ugly. I love ugly. I want real. I want vulnerable. I want raw. Can I tell you, I think that Jesus is longing for some ugly love. That's what I think. I think Jesus is longing for some ugly love. And I'm grateful that in this passage, as he looks at the woman, he doesn't just talk to Simon, but he talks to you. And he talks to me. And he says, you want to know what I like? This. This is what I like. This. This is what I want. Thanks for the invite. Glad you came to my house. Glad you're doing all the motions. Thank you for the set list. I appreciate you drinking your coffee with one hand. Glad you made an effort. But I, I, I want something else. I, I want what's happening in your heart. I want to know what's actually going on in your life. I, I, I want to hear dependency talk, not entitlement. Jesus said, who, 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 who you think loves me more? <laughs> you, you've been forgiven a lot, been forgiven a little. I love how he illustrates sin as debt. Because the reality is ain't none of us been forgiven of little consequences of sin is the same for us all, which is death. And we've all been forgiven by Jesus. And he said, if you have been forgiven much, then I expect you to love much. So give me the real, real. We're closing, but here's three points you can take home with you. Give God some ugly love. Number one, remember your debt. We don't pursue God out of entitlement. We pursue God out of gratitude. We say, Jesus, I'm grateful. You, you paid it all on the cross and I'm grateful. Worship from love, not formula. Love looks like something, and oftentimes it doesn't look pretty. (laughs) Oftentimes it it looks rough. 
Untamed, all-out love is costly, but Jesus is worthy of it. Real love pours out what matters to us. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus, we are grateful. Jesus, we are grateful. You know, I, I sense in the room right now there's some people here and you have been pursuing Jesus out of formality for far too many seasons. But Jesus has brought you here today simply to break that off. And I just want to give you 30 seconds, if you would be willing, if you know that you need to offer Jesus a little bit of ugly love this morning, would you just join me? You could just lift your hands to Jesus. And we just want to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Lord, I give to you what's actually happening in me. I give you real love, and I don't care what it costs. You're worthy of it. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.